Welcome, you have found Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And I know I'm really, really grateful today that you, Lisa Jo, are my friend and you're able to share some really personal stories of a place that you know, but I don't know. And this week, we are both fervently praying for this place. There's a good chance we won't say this all just right, but we want to hold our hearts open to being enlarged, and we hope to invite you into the process with us. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, listeners, we hope that listening to this podcast every Wednesday is a part of your everyday, ordinary, weekly rhythms. And the truth is that recording it And sort of coming to the table and having these conversations is a part of our everyday, ordinary, weekly rhythms, which means that we almost always do it on a Friday, usually in the afternoon, right as we're heading into the weekend, um, always with a bit of conversation first to sort of see where we're headed. And that means that that's where we are right now, me, Lisa Joe. Here at our desks, Friday afternoon, right after we um, have all become aware of really terrible news in Ukraine that um, war has begun. And I don't know, it's just a really awful, awful thing to witness, even though we're so far away. And the truth of it is is that we don't know what will be happening next Wednesday (laughs) when you listen to this conversation. But here we are on a Friday processing where we are right now, and we hope and pray that the conversation we have about a place that is, I think, special to both of us, really special to you, Lisa Joe. but I have some connections as well. And, and so this place is, um, yeah, it, it matters. It matters, but it matters to us. And so I hope that our conversation today on this Friday afternoon We'll speak what's needed Wednesday as our listeners join in as they do every week. So, Lisa Joe, I would love it if you would start us off just telling us a bit about this place that you know so well. And I'll never forget that we became friends in Chicago. And then very soon after, you and Peter took off to move to Ukraine. And I thought, well, I'll never see her again. (laughs) (laughs) And yet here we are, right? Like 20 some years later having this conversation. So that gives me hope even as we begin. But yeah, why don't you tell us about this place you know so well? I know it's knitted into our story, Christy. I love that we share that our 20 years. Your parents, we met up with them in Ukraine. I know. Isn't that wild? It's wild. You've met have you met my parents in the United States? I don't think ever? I have. I honestly <laughs> think the only time I've spent with them is in Ukraine. I feel like they took us to D- TGI Fridays. Yeah, that is really <laughs> wild that that would be a part of our story. Yeah, I'll share more about that later. But yeah, first, I, I just love to hear from you about this place where I've never been. I've never been to this country. Right. Well, I'll, I guess I'll start by saying this. Right before Christy and I sat down to record, I picked up my kids from school and In the last 24 hours, like all of you, we've been tracking the news and reaching out to friends who are over there and listening to podcasts and updates and social media and trying to 
desperately understand, right? I think we're all trying to wrap our minds around it. And when I picked up our sons from school, one of my middle son, Micah, he is a bit obsessed with war documentaries. And he said such an interesting thing to me. He said, it's so weird, mom, because I'm used to watching stories about war after it's happened. And so they can explain to you like why it happened and how it happened and who was involved. And I keep wishing there was somewhere I could go to find out like, but why is this happening? And how's it going to work out? And there isn't anything. It's it's just happening. And he said, I've never experienced it where I'm in the middle of it. I'm not watching it, you know, from a past perspective where we can analyze what happened. It's happening live. And he said, and so it's such a strange feeling because I don't understand it and I don't know how to help. We're over here. We're in America. We're so far away. Like all I can do is watch and I can't, I got this sense from him. He felt like he couldn't watch enough because no matter how much he watched, he still didn't understand it. He can't get a handle on it. And we're only two days into it. And It was a very telling moment for me to pause and realize there's a whole generation now who are experiencing war for the first time. We haven't experienced acts of aggression in that way in decades, and we are all trying to decode it, and nobody has the answer. We're right here at the beginning. And it's as I sat down to record with you, I was thinking about what Micah said, and I know a lot of people listening are feeling the same way. Like, what can I do? do? Like, how do we react? What? How do we decode? How do we help? What does that look like? And I think part of what we're going to talk about today is one of the most powerful things we do is we continue on in our rhythms. We continue honoring these lives through many different ways. So, in answer to your question, Christy, Ukraine came into our lives because my husband, Peter, his PhD is actually on the economies of Ukraine, and not just the economies, but more specifically, the taxation system, which I feel like when you hear that is boring beyond belief to think about writing an entire dissertation on taxation. But what makes it so interesting and what we're seeing play out on a global stage now is what he's actually studying. It's the politics of taxation. So a country is only as strong and secure as its ability to raise revenue for all kinds of things that it needs for civil society, right? Roads and garbage pickup and, you know, heating and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if a government can't raise revenue or if there is corruption in how it goes about ra- raising revenue, it becomes beholden not to the people who it taxes, but to the oligarchs, those who are benefiting from this sort of subterranean taxation system that's happening when it comes to illegal dealings. And uh, when you have economies that are used to benefiting (laughs) in ways that don't necessarily comply with international law, as we're watching play out on a national stage, uh, you, you run into the reality of what Peter spent a lot of time researching. So we went, and it's strange to think about because we actually went to Ukraine right on the heels of 9-11. So 9-11 had happened. We were in Chicago, living in downtown Chicago. This is how Christy and I met. They were on the south side. We were living downtown. I was working for a big corporate law firm when 9-11 happened. And Peter, who was studying the politics of Ukraine, received a national security fellowship to go to Kiev and do language research there. And so we packed up our lives. I mean, I'll just never forget. It was so surreal at the time that I would quit my big law firm job. We moved to another country. I Not only did I not 
speak the language. I couldn't read the language. Wow. I mean, when we landed in the airport, it is not like being, at least then, so this was like 20 years ago, not like being in other parts of Western Europe where signage is in English and maybe Cyrillic. Everything was only in Cyrillic. And you don't realize how much you take for granted your ability to read signage when you are on a road or looking for a restaurant or a grocery store or a bathroom. If you cannot read what it says, you you are like a tiny child is how I felt. I remember when we arrived, everybody's speaking Russian or Ukrainian. Uh, in Ukraine, they speak both, especially um, in eastern Ukraine, they tend to speak more Russian because it's closer to the border with Russia. And uh, I remember just being astonished as my Midwestern American husband broke out his Ukrainian to get us a taxi and a hotel. And I just sort of wandered around in his wake, <laughs> having no clue what was going on. And to this day, we laugh because our good friends, uh, the missionaries who are working there that we had come to know were going to pick us up from the airport, but forgot about us that day. So there was nobody to greet us. We arrived in this country where we did not speak the language. We didn't have the currency. We had to go through all of the hoops to get a cab and first get currency and get into a taxi and navigate to a hotel and try to figure out how to phone our friends and navigate everything in Ukrainian or Russian to get them on the phone to explain, we're here, like, <laughs> come find us. I'll just never forget that day. It's a very beautiful city, Kiev is. It has a river that runs through the middle of it that divides it into an east and a west bank. And I'll never forget being at the hotel that night and we were high up, like on the 10th or 11th floor. And the sun was setting over the Dnieper River, this like pink, beautiful sunset. And Ukraine has a lot of really interesting monuments celebrating the end of the wars that it, ha that it has fought, and it has fought many. And uh, there's a, what they call the Iron Maiden who stands on the edge of the Dnieper with her arms raised and a sword in her hand, and the sun glinted off of it. And I just remembered realizing, oh, I'm stepping into a story that's very different. Like, this is a community who have lived all of the same things I've lived, big world events, but from a very different perspective. And really, the next two years we were there is what we spent learning, not just a language, but a culture and a story that we hadn't experienced before as Westerners. Um, I always say nowhere I've ever lived gave me a frame of reference for Eastern Europe. It's 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 just really different. Um, it has, of course, all the similarities of moms and dads and favorite foods and outings and going to the beach. But all of those things are are also completely different. Like the flavors, the tastes, the expressions, the cultural traditions, like everything about it was different. And it was an enlarging experience. It enlarged us, who we are, how we see the world, how we see the West. And and also just cemented into our lives deep, deep friendships. We attended a Church of the Nazarene there, but the it's a Ukrainian-led church. Everything all the service was in Ukrainian or Russian. We had friends who would take pity on us and always sit and like translate the services for us. <laughs> I think they all enjoyed the challenge of like seeing if they could keep up with the translation. And Peter actually played drums for the church band, which was also <laughs> funny because sometimes because some of the worship songs he wouldn't be familiar with. He wouldn't be sure when is it going to end. He said he'd often be like, da -da 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 -da. oh, you know, at the end, I guess we're done now. <laughs> but and we've talked about this um, on an episode I think we did once before. About, I think the, the episode was called God Doesn't Speak English. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We talked about how 
we did do certain worship songs. I remember vividly doing How Great Is Our God, and we did it. We sang it in Russian. And it was the first time it occurred to me, oh, God's native language is not English. Like, why do it was so surprising to me that God would understand the Russian when I struggle so much. But I think that's what I mean by enlarging our perspective on the world, because we can tend to approach everything. Obviously, with the story, that's our primary narrative. And when you step outside of your narrative, culturally and linguistically, you are reminded that God is not America's God. He is the God of the entire globe. He is everywhere. He loves everyone. He speaks all those languages. There are no surprises to him. And we we found God in Kiev, Ukraine, as much as we do right outside of Washington, D.C. Hmm. I love that phrase. It enlarged us. That's really beautiful, really powerful. And I guess I, as we continue to have the conversation, I just want to pause and like say, okay, yeah, for myself and maybe for our listeners, if you've been nervous or uncertain about how much of this story you want to take in, or maybe how much attention you want to give it, that's a good, a good thing to remember that even as we sort of protect our own boundaries in terms of what we can handle, and as we go about like, we cannot stop living our ordinary lives. In fact, I think you and I will continue the conversation talking about why that actually matters so much. But even as we're doing that, to not be afraid to pay attention to a story or to listen to a story and to try to understand it, because I think just like with reading books, just like with having conversations with people face-to-face, like paying attention to the story of what's happening, um, even though for many of us, not all, but for most of us listening, it's very far away it might have that, there is that potential that our hearts are going to like, they grow a little bigger, our our perspective just grow a little wider. And that is a real gift no matter where we live. How would you, like, I want to know, I mean, this is happening in that that city you knew so well. So, so, and it's on the news right now. Like, have you seen things in the news where you're like, oh my gosh, that's right. My that's where we would pick. There's my office. I mean, yes, it's so weird when I'm watching it with my kids now. So, if you're like all of us watching the news, they often show footage of the central plaza in Ukraine. And you'll know what I'm talking about because there's this. It, it, the very center of it, there's this very tall pillar that has like an, it looks like an angel on the top of it. And it's a square. It's actually called, I'll forgive me, Russian speakers who are listening, Maidan Nazaleshki. And it's, uh, it means independence square. It's, it's a place that marks Ukraine's independence. And, and that's why it's so hard to think about all these troops marching toward Ukraine's you know, Kiev's center. So when they show that and you see that pillar with the angel on the top of it, you can sometimes see there's a building that comes right down to the square. It's got like a pink hue to it. And I'd be like, that's where I worked. <laughs> like I would sit in that office. I worked for the United Nations for two years in Ukraine. I was a legal specialist on their counter human trafficking team. We would walk down to the square all the time. There's this amazing mall. So if you see that square, what's also interesting, you might notice oh, there's, there are what look like plastic domes kind of in the square. That is actually the ceiling of an underground mall that's underneath that square. And it's a really fun mall. And the 
the glass dome you're seeing is actually the the food court. <laughs> so oh. you go down on an escalator and then they've got these food courts. There was, um, I remember one of the things we loved is there was a baked potato fast food place. Oh. Yes, so good. And they would make it like a twice baked potato. They take out all the insides of the potato and they mix it up with like butter and sour cream and cheese. And then they put it back into the potato and smooth it totally flat and then sprinkle like chives and sour cream on the top. So we would always get baked potatoes down there or corn. There was a chicken place we really liked, you know, like the <laughs> Ukrainian version of Kentucky Fried Chicken. But yeah, it's very, very strange to see these places where I spent so much time. We ran, there was like a, a walk, you know, how a fundraising walk that they did through the city. So everywhere you see these main streets that they pan, that traffic is flooding out of now. Like we did a big walk for life uh, fundraising event over there I had friends who lived on all of those streets like all the cities they keep talking about um, Lviv and Kharkiv I've been to all of them you know Belarus which Russia is using as a staging area I have traveled there um, the airport that got bombed we flew in and out of many many times it's it, it's just so surreal to see a place that you're so familiar with and you have friends who live there so the pastor of our Ukrainian church pastor Vladimir is still there he and his wife were in a bomb shelter today and our friend Zina and who's all grown up now and married and has kids you know she was messaging me today from the basement of the church we used to attend where they are sheltering so the news has stepped through the screen into my living room and it's a very strange reality to think after all this years Ukraine has fought so hard for its independence in as simple as things that to do with language. So, for example, I often share with people, you might hear people refer to it as the Ukraine. But but Ukraine actually, if you're if you're giving them the honor of their own independence, is always just referred to as Ukraine, not the Ukraine. And that is because when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, Russia would always call it the Ukraine. Like it's one of our provinces, like an area we can go to, like a breadbasket or a grocery store yeah. we can get things from. It, it was seen as an appendage of Russia. That's why it used to be called the Ukraine, like this this region, the area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so Ukraine has really pushed back against that. And it's why to honor them, we always refer to it as Ukraine. Another reason is this, another example is if we talk about the spelling of the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, you may have seen it spelled K-I-E-V, and that is um, a transliteration of the Russian. That is the Russian spelling of that word. But if you spell it in Ukrainian, it's spelled K-Y-I-V. And again, it's one of those things that's used to to honor Ukraine's independence from Russia. And it was interesting back in 2014 as the last time Putin attempted one of these takeovers of Ukraine. And 2014 was, you know, for years, Ukrainians have tried to advocate for Kiev to be spelled K-Y-I-V. I remember when we lived there in the early 2000s, I had a wonderful coworker, Oksana. She was so delightful. And she would always explain to me, Lisa, Lizichka, we say Kiev, Kiev. See, it's soft. In Ukrainian, it's a soft letter. K-Y-I-V, Kiev. <laughs> and Ukrainian is a soft, it's musical, Kiev. And uh, 
And it wasn't until 2014 when Putin invaded that the rest of the world really took notice of why it is that Ukraine is trying to request it be addressed, its capital be, you know, we use the Ukrainian form of that word because it has fought for so long to assert its independence from Russia. So there's so many friends that, I mean, we're just, Peter and I, I feel like are like teenagers, like glued to social media, like just staying in touch with these friends. But how amazing that we can, that they can be Facebook messaging us from the basement of the church where we all used to go to church together. The world is so small in that way. That's true. I, I, I feel like I've tasted that even a little bit. I have no personal connections with that country other than, as you mentioned, my parents and and two of my siblings have visited and um, partnered with some Christian organizations to do ministry there. Um, so there is, you know, in our family texting threads, they've been sharing memories and photos. Um, but just personally, there's um, a wonderful iconographer that I have followed for a long time on Instagram. Just She just creates beautiful, beautiful religious icons. And... Um, uh, just this week, of course, she she posted on her stories, you know, just asking for prayer and, and saying that, you know, the invasion had begun. And uh, and so, I just responded with a, like, I don't know, a, I'm praying or a something. Um, and then she, she responded back and said, you know, thank you so much. And she shared a little bit more. And it was like, I knew she was a real person. Of yeah, course, that's why I was following right, her. That's why I responded. Right. And yet, hearing from her directly, this woman that I don't know, I've never met in person, probably never will, just someone I follow on Instagram. I, it was like, it was sort of like you singing that song and realizing, oh, right, God is like not just an English speaker. It was a little bit like that. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, this is a real woman who is really in this situation and is really reaching out to, mm-hmm. to ask for prayer. And it reminded me as well, um, you know, because I was already following her for uh, like spiritual reasons, it reminded me, oh my gosh, she is my sister in Christ. And she is in the middle of this. And it it did have, it just in that little moment was like, oh my goodness, yes, this, this is real. And I think especially, um, you know, we know there's conflicts at various times all over the world, sadly, sadly. But here, let it be said, there are there are Christians. I mean, and there are Christians everywhere as well. But these, but historically, there is a Christian heritage in these places, and his, there is an historic church in these places right. that just makes it, in in my view, just like this double, triple tragedy of of what's happening. I wonder, Lisa Joe, like because you're so personally involved. I mean, have you just been watching the news? all day like are you able to live your life like i i feel like i would just like stop functioning (laughs) and i and i'm sure like whether you have close friends in ukraine or not that's really a lot of us are feeling that pull to feel like how do i how do i have a normal day today like what does that look like i have talked to friends of ours who are in the military whose sons are in the military this obviously affects our military families as they anticipate what the next days weeks months years look like i think all of us are trying to figure out like how do i balance this now overwhelming thing that is just beginning. And I think that's been, for me, part of the tension as we think about, wait, we are just, we've survived two years of a pandemic, and now we are just stepping into the first days of potentially a a war? How does the soul function? Like, how 
how do we make sense of that? How do we breathe through it? And I was, I've been struggling trying to wrap my mind around that. And today I woke up to something that had been written by our good friend, Shannon Martin. And I thought it was really, really powerful. And I'm going to read a, a little bit of what she posted on Instagram. And we'll have this link in the show notes so you can go and find what Shannon writes herself. She's definitely worth listening to. She posted a picture of her kitchen. <laughs> Christy and I are <laughs> fond of pictures like that. It's just her kitchen countertop. It has a bowl of bananas some stools, morning light. And she wrote, we prayed for peace in the night. We woke up to war. I know these things are connected because I believe we're all related. What does it mean? How do we pray? What responsibility do we actually carry for one another? I turned these questions over while I listened to the news, unloaded the dishwasher, and brewed my Irish tea. I jotted down some notes, always trying to find the thread between things that feel haphazard but can't be. This is the work of being human. Toast, crumbs, and cold meds, grief and belief, bombs and deadlines and dinner at six. It means something, even if we can't quite put our finger on it. That somehow held me because it reminded me about how we can't be just all or nothing. We are all <laughs> of us a continual in-between. <laughs> right? We are highs and lows, but we are also remember to take out the trash people. And it made me feel encouraged to sit down and talk to you, Christy, in a place where we believe that there is holiness to be found here in conversations about ordinary things. Because in the same way, my friend Zina, who's in Ukraine, posted a photograph of her cup of coffee and said every day for eight years, her husband Sam has gotten up and they've always made each other a cup of coffee. And he had left to go out uh, with a security force that he's part of. They live in Kiev. They have two children. And there she is posting about her coffee. And yet it's more than coffee, right? But it is also ordinary. Her kids are building a blanket fort so that they're not afraid. She's traveling to the church to be with other families today. She's talking about the crayons and markers her children are using. And at the same time that they can hear bombing. So there is something to be said about somehow rooting ourselves to the seemingly small ordinary that I just am convinced holds a divine anchor. Mm, That's really beautiful. I I like what you said about, like, you were held by Shannon's words, but I think she's also modeling for us, like, how how we hold all these things, which is <laughs> by the grace of God. But we tend to be all or nothing people. It just feels easier to, like, pick everything up over here or drop everything over here. Like, I, I, I personally think just we find it hard to just, like, go on in the tension that, yes, there are bombs falling, but there's also children who need caring for or coffee that needs to be made. Like, it's just really hard to to almost to be human enough to, to hold all of that. But I, I think that's what we're called as much as we're able with God's help to do. We're not—and then and that paying attention to the children, the markers, the coffee is not a dereliction of duty. <laughs> it's not It's not um, a falling down on the job. It is actually the life we're called we're called to live. And we there are seasons of peace and there are seasons of war, maybe not for all of us in this um, really terrible, dramatic fashion. but but bombs of a sort 
go off in everybody's life and and how do we go on living when when a bomb has been detonated that is actually something we all will experience mm. um and yeah just to remember that that God is enough in those moments is is really encouraging that there will be peace available and that we can rest in it I'm not telling anyone how it's done. I'm just saying, like, this is what I'm going to go on, like, seeking to do, is to rest in that peace that is available, even even in the midst of it. And I think it's been helpful. We've been having conversations the last few weeks about that, about how it isn't up to us to feel yeah. at peace. Yeah. You know, we had an entire conversation about how Jesus is asleep during the storm. He's at peace. I don't have to be. I can just believe and trust that, in fact, He is. And then we had a conversation about when you feel like you're drowning, this idea about how God um, is with us as we, you know, duck dive under the waves or come out on the other side. And then last week, we talked about a God who asks us, do you want to be well? Like, He's there constantly offering healing in His presence. And so, we don't have to achieve some kind of Zen state to be able right. to walk through this, but we don't have to be zombies through it either. We can continue to be present to the toast and the toothpaste and the backpacks and the you know teenagers who are still going on first dates or getting their driver's license or going to college. Like it's both and we get to message our friends who are afraid and stand with our teenagers who are having firsts. If we start to opt out of those things, the everyday ordinary things that make us human, and we only focus on the language of death and despair, then we are speaking the language of the enemy. We truly mm. are. Like that is his native tongue. But the language of humanity, the language of Christ, the language of life is constantly showing up in a million different ways in your kitchen and in your car and in the carpool and in your cubicle at work. And to be fully human is to somehow be able to bring our sadness and our sorrow into those moments of joy and connection and let them hold hands with one another, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really gorgeous. Yeah. Someone reminded me just this week about, I, so it's been a long time since I read them. You might remember more than me, but um, in Langle's Time series, you know, Wrinkle in Time and, and right. that, those, those books, um, that there is a, I forget which book it's in, but part of the plot, there's this description of like the power of naming and unnaming. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Um, and, and I, um, the person who was sharing this with me was saying, oh, this, when you, Christy, when you talk about making places and then, and then the power of, of death, which is really what we're talking about today when we talk about war, how that unmakes places. Mm. She was like, oh, that just really reminds me of Langle talking about naming and unnaming. And uh, I appreciate that because I thought, oh my gosh, that for me um, really gets at our like how we're created, our core identity as made in God's image, which means we are created to to be creative and to care for the world and to be good gardeners and to order things. And because Adam was given that task to name the animals. So, this there's something about naming that is connected to like all of our making and all of our creativity and all of our, um, you know, just all the goodness that we're called to cultivate in the world, it, you know, can kind of be symbolized with this naming that that Adam does. Um, and the thing about war, and the thing about violence, and the thing about death is that it's all about unnaming. And 
I'm just even more impressed by that now, hearing from you these this history and these stories of Ukraine's name mm. and Kiev's name, which I know I'm not, I want to like actually practice saying that musically, as you've you know, told me now, I want to practice it, but saying the name of the city, saying the name of the, uh, of the river, saying the name of your friends and the power in that kind of naming that even somehow in telling their stories and, and saying their names and in claiming those names, that even this is like pushing back the darkness a little bit. Um, but, but again, this is not like radical, like we're not, you and I here in our homes in the U.S., like we're not we're not doing active, obvious, radical things. Like we're kind of just going about our lives. But I don't know, all this just makes me think that in that ordinariness, our our making of coffee, our telling of stories, our having our conversations, our sharing our podcasts, our listening to podcasts, our, you know, passing a podcast on to a friend. Hey, here's, you know, here's what I'm listening to. Like just in these ordinary things that bring order and names and stories to the world around us that we're participating in life, we're participating in the making, we're participating in the naming, and all of that is opposed to this, this violence and this, um, uh, this, this death happening uh, yeah, the that we see in the world. And it can feel so small and ineffectual, like it's not, it's, it's not a big thing. It's not a big megaphone. It's not some big action. But like all of that small living adds up to life, right. I guess is what I'm saying. And life is really powerful. And I think you've actually opened the door into a conversation we want to continue into next week because we realize there's no way to be able to touch on all of the thoughts that are bubbling up in so many of us as we try to navigate forward. But Part of what we'd love to talk about in a, in a conversation that's related to this one so that we'll play next week is this idea of what does that mean? Like to name and unname, how do we bring the creative forces that the God of the universe who spoke the world into being? What does that look like for us who feel small and tired and broken to try to keep doing that? especially in times like this of deep insecurity and darkness. So I think what I'd love to do is pause here and invite you all to to meditate on this beginning conversation about this idea about what does it mean to to enlarge yourself for somebody else's story and what does it mean to embrace the ordinary smallness because therein lies the glory, the DNA of Christ. And then come back in a week as we continue this conversation about the power of creativity and creating in a space that is trying to create a void of unmaking and unnaming. That's a good cliffhanger. (laughs) And and yet I hope is encouraging because there are encouraging things to be said still. And we sure hope you will, will join us and, uh, and just know that we are praying for you as you are praying for us as we join to pray for our friends in Ukraine and in Russia mm-hmm. because they are at the mercy of a dictator in many ways too. So thank you for being at the table with us even as we aren't sure what tomorrow brings. <laughs>